Pastor Garth grew a nice beard this morning, I guess. How many would like to see him with a beard? Where's Patty? She's probably like, nope, no thank you. So as Pastor Garth mentioned, I will be preaching. I will be using this thing later, so it will make sense eventually. Just bear with me. That should work. Okay. So as uh, Pastor Garth mentioned, we've been talking a lot about submission lately here at the gathering. Uh, submitting to the authorities, submitting wives submitting to husbands, husbands submitting to God. And these kinds of truths, when we talk about submission, they're not easily received by our culture, if, if you didn't uh, already recognize that. Mainly, though, because of misunderstandings and abuses of authority. But submission is not necessarily a bad thing all the time. Uh, when I used to wrestle back in the day, there was a lot of talk about submission. And there was one guy who um, was particularly, and for lack of a better word, stupid when it came to submission. Uh, because sometimes not submitting is just stupid. Someone would get him in an armbar or something, and if anybody knows what an armbar is, it could literally snap your arm in half. And he would fight it and fight it and fight it, and his face would just, you could just tell he was about to break. And eventually, you know, the opponent would just let go because he didn't want to break this guy's arm in a practice. So it's just stupid sometimes not to submit. If you watch any gra uh, grappling martial arts on TV or, or participate in anything like that, you'll know that immediately when the submission is locked in, you tap out, you submit. Why? Because if you don't, you'll be crippled and your, and your fighting days are over. So in the same way, Trying to be a Christian and not submitting to Christ is to cripple yourself spiritually. We all have a natural inclination to pride and this sort of arrogant independence. Submission just doesn't seem fair. But whether you like it or not, no one is completely independent. We're all submitting to someone or something. It's just what you're submitting to that you need to decide. So our text of scripture this morning, in it Peter is encouraging us to live a fully surrendered and submitted life to Christ. Christ is our example. Even when we suffer, we just need to submit to him. So let's go a little deeper into verse 8. Peter says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So Peter begins by saying this word finally, which, which means he's about to conclude something. But obviously he's not concluding his letter because we have two more chapters left, unless this is a super long conclusion, which it's not. He's simply concluding this teaching on submission. So all of these characteristics here that Peter lists in verse 8 can be summed up and found in one person. Can you guess who that is? It's not me, obviously, if anybody knows me. It's Jesus Christ. We're called to submit to Christ as our example. So the first thing Peter highlights here is the character of Christ. We're called to submit to Christ and strive to live like him. Well, how did he live? Firstly, he was 
in perfect unity of mind with the Father. In the being of God, we see a perfect unity. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally existing in the perfect relationship of unity and love, one God forever. Here's what's interesting. In John chapter 17, 20, verse 20 to 21, Jesus prays this. He says, I do not ask for these only, the apostles and disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prayed for us. For everyone in this room who calls him Lord, who has been born again and saved, he prayed for you that you would be one with him as he is one with God. That's amazing. Nobody's amazed. Sorry I'm not doing justice to to Jesus' prayer. I tried. It's just impossible. But Jesus prays for us to have unity with, with him as he has unity with God and that we might have unity with one another then. Because if we're united with Jesus and Jesus is united with God, then we're all united with one another. There's, it's just simple one plus one. If, if we're united with him, then we're united with each other as well. And because of the cross, because Jesus died on the cross, we can share now in the unity uh, that, that he has with the Father and that we have with one another. Fellowship with each other, First John tells us, is irreducibly linked with fellowship with God. If we have fellowship with God and not have fellowship with, with the church, well, then you probably don't really have fellowship with God. Because it's linked with the church. You can't have God without his people. You can't be in his family and, and, uh, and shun his other children. It doesn't make sense. So we need to be united, unity of mind with God and with each other. God, unite us, we pray. Secondly, Jesus showed sympathy. In Luke chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus sees a funeral procession uh, for a man who had died, leaving behind his widowed mother. The scripture says that Jesus had compassion on her. This word compassion, though, means more than just feeling uh, sorry for her, like you would feel sorry for a dog who broke his leg or something. He felt a deep anguish in his guts. Jesus, in the very real sense, was sharing in this woman's pain. He was sympathetic to her. And that sympathy led him to do something. He raised her son from the dead. So what this tells me here is that sympathy and compassion is not just a feeling Sympathy is something you do, something you show. Now, God may not use us to raise a widow's son from the dead. I pray that that kind of power would be granted to us. But if it's not, we still have the power to do something. We have the ability to show sympathy, help someone who's sick. I'm sure there's many people here dealing with all kinds of issues that we can help them with. Sacrifice some money to someone who needs it. Submitting to Christ means no longer seeing sympathy as a um, noun, 
but as a verb. I wasn't good in English, so I had to look at that. Sympathy is not a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. Father, I pray that you grant us the sympathy of Christ. Thirdly, Jesus showed brotherly love. Was there anyone on the planet Earth who ever lived who loved like Jesus? I've yet to find that person. We see constantly through his life that he loved people regardless of class, race, gender, whatever. It didn't matter. Jesus just loved people. And Christian brotherly love always seeks reconciliation that's driven by grace. Reconciliation to one another and, of course, uh, most importantly, reconciliation with God. So here's a little story about Jesus that a lot of people like. So I'll tell you. The Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus and argued that the law of Moses says that such a woman should be stoned to death. But the problem is the law of Rome would not allow the death penalty without their authority and their permission. You couldn't just go around putting people to death uh, based on your own religious law. It didn't work like that in Rome. So they asked Jesus, here's what the law of Moses says, that this woman who was caught in adultery should be killed. But what do you say? So what did Jesus do? What did he say? John uh, chapter 8, verse 7 records that Jesus said this, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So they stood there and thought, okay, who's without sin? Well, not me. So he drops the stone. Well, I'm not, so he drops the stone. By the end of the, the whole situation, no one had any stones left to throw. But here's the irony in this story. Jesus was without sin. So he could have picked up the stones and pummeled this woman to her death, and he would have been perfectly just and right to do that. But that's not what he did. Instead, he does this. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus loved. He forgave the adulteresses. He was patient with the weak. He, he bore with our uh, weaknesses and, and, and our shortcomings. So this is our example of love. We need to love one another as a family because that's what we are. Forgive one another and bear with one another's weaknesses. Lord, I, te- I pray that you would teach us to love one another as you love us. Fourthly, Jesus had a tender heart. You can't really love people without a tender heart. So this makes sense. In a very emotional scene, Jesus approaches Jerusalem and he begins to weep over it. He begins to cry. Tears are flowing down the face of God. He's weeping. With a tender heart, he weeps because of the misery that he sees in the city and its unwillingness to submit to God and receive peace. He saw the sins of the people. He saw their hardness of heart. 
He saw the misery that was going to come upon them when when Rome would come in and destroy Jerusalem and, and tear down the temple. You can literally feel the tenderness of our Lord Jesus here as he weeps over this city, his city, his city. This tender heart for his city, then, is our example. So think about Windsor. Think about Ontario and Canada and the people that make that up. Do we weep over Windsor? I've been guilty of complaining about the city of Windsor. Anybody else done that? EC Row, the ramps are too short, and the list goes on. I've complained. I've complained about the sin in our city. The, you know, the, not hundreds, but there's just um, tons of strip clubs on Olet. There's tons of drunkenness and sin. And there have been times where I've been angry. Angry at our city. Angry at the people for their sin. I've been enraged by the new uh, uh, health curriculum that Ontario is putting out and for good reason. But I would that my rage and anger instead would be turned to weeping. Oh, that I would weep for Windsor and our country like Jesus wept for his city and his country. That my heart would be tender rather than hard and angry. There's no use in getting angry for sinners sinning. That's like getting angry at a dog for barking. Well, that, that was a bad example, but... <laughs> You know what I'm trying to say. There's no use in getting angry over sinners for sinning. We ought to instead, like Jesus, weep for them and cry out for them. So do we weep over the sins of our city, the sins of our family, the sins of our friends with such tenderness that Jesus does? Oh God, that you would grant us a tender heart like Jesus has. And finally, Jesus had a humble mind. Now, no verse in Scripture, in my opinion, better illustrates more beautifully the tender, or sorry, the humble mind of Christ than Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. I'm going to read this slowly. Just try to uh, follow it and, and just, just listen carefully at how Paul describes this mind, this humble mind of Christ. He says this, <clears throat> Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I could go on explaining this verse more and more in depth, but that's a whole other sermon series probably up there on the screen. I'll just say this. God, who created all things, who knows all things, came down here, humbled himself, became our servant, Do you understand the madness of that? What king has ever done that? What king has ever left his throne and washed the feet of the peasants? 
I know one king who did it. And he's the king of kings. So this king of kings became our servant. Wow. And not only that, but he was obedient even to death on a cross. The most humiliating monstrosity of a punishment ever invented by the sick mind of man. He did that. Have that mind among yourselves. And the good news is that we don't have to manufacture this humility because the Bible says it is ours in Christ. Father, help us to take hold of this humble mind of Christ. So submission to Christ uh, requires that we obey what he said. It requires that we live like him, being united, sympathetic, showing love, having a tender heart, and a humble mind. And when we do this, when we submit to Christ and strive to live like him in his power, naturally, we will suffer. The servant is not greater than his master. So, verse 9 of 1 Peter 3 says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So this is a picture I'll put it up on the screen too, but I actually brought it from home. This is a picture I have hanging in my office as an effort to always remind myself that I'm not that special, I'm not that great, um, and that I ought to love my enemies. So this is a picture of Dirk Williams saving a man who has fallen through ice. That is obviously what's going on there. So you might think these guys might be friends, right? Or, or, that, or that Dirk Williams here is just trying to be a nice guy. A good Samaritan, maybe. But that's not what's happening in this picture. Something way more significant is happening here. You see, Dirk Williams was a convict. He was the worst kind of criminal. Can you guess? He was a Christian. That heinous crime of believing. So one day he decided to uh, make a run for it. He was being held in a palace that was turned into a prison. And he made a rope out of rags and he climbed down the wall onto the frozen water there and began the run. He had been being fed on prison rations. So I think this picture doesn't really do justice. He was uh, much skinnier than that. Um, so he'd successfully escaped prison and soon noticed there was some, a guard behind him who had seen him uh, escape who was chasing him. So he's running and running and running. And uh, next thing you know, dude falls through the ice. Prison guard falls through the ice. And he's flailing and he's saying, oh, help me, help me, I'm going to die, I'll drown here. So Dirk hears, and, and, and what does he do? Well, this would be a perfect opportunity. Dude falls through the ice, I'm out of here. Right? That's what most of us would do. Thank God, I'm, I'm, I'm safe. But as the guard struggles in the icy water, Dirk Williams does the unthinkable. In an act of selfless, Christ-like love, he decides to turn around and save the very man whose duty it was to make sure he stayed in prison so he could die. Dirk Williams repaid evil with good. And in the end, what happened? You would think maybe this guard would say, oh wow, maybe, maybe this guy's not so bad after all. Maybe we should just let him be. No, that's not what happened. The act of submission to Christ that Dirk Williams 
um, showed in this, in this true story here cost him his life. They put him back in prison. They tortured him for good measure. And then they burned him at the stake. Dirk Williams suffered like Christ. When we live a life in conformity and submission to Christ, we will suffer. We will. It's not, it's not if, but when. So when we do, we look to Jesus as our model again of how we ought to suffer. He did not seek revenge. He did not repay evil with evil. He loved his enemies. He loved those who hated him, even to the end. While Jesus was hanging naked on the cross, dying, he says these infamous words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prays for them. He prays that God might forgive them for killing him. Has there ever been a more forgiving and loving statement ever spoken by man? In my experience, suffering like Christ has been the hardest part of being a Christian. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. It's, it's, it's so easy to, oh, praise the Lord and hallelujah when all things are going well. But when you're suffering, can, our, our, can, can you still lift your arm? It's been hard. When I suffer, it's hard to lift and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I'd rather say nothing. But I take comfort in knowing this. I don't suffer alone. The same God who allows us to suffer, he allows it. He could stop it, but he allows it. This same God who allows us to suffer is the same God who humbled himself and suffered infinitely more than me. So when I suffer, I can't look to the heavens with any legitimacy and say, God, how could you? I can't. Because he can look down and say, I suffered more. I understand. Even greater. Christ, Jesus is not the kind of God who doesn't understand suffering. This is why Christianity is so unique to all the other uh, religions and, and gods of the world who aren't really gods. It's that our God knows suffering. He knows it. He knows it better than we do. Thank God. He suffered greatly. He gets it. So then we're called to suffer the same way, to love our enemies the same way and bless those who hate us, Christ being our supreme example of this. I'm sure if we all took a minute to think about those people that purposely make our lives hard, we could come up with a huge list. So here's what, here's what I want you to do. Take the list, write it down, and one by one, go through those names and think, how can I repay their evil with good? And if doing that's not in the picture right now, I understand uh, there, there might be some horrible sins committed against you. I don't want to be insensitive to that. I understand sometimes it might take time. But for now, you can do something. You can pray for them. Maybe someone's hurt you really bad and, and you don't want to pray for them. I understand you don't want to pray for them. But just do it. Even as, as you're praying for them, Lord, bless so-and-so. In your heart, you hate them. Keep praying. Just do it. Because eventually, God will teach you how to forgive. 
and eventually your heart will become more tender. Just do it. It might be weeks, it might be months, you pray for this person with hatred in your heart, but in God's timing, He will switch that. He will teach you how to forgive. He will teach you how to love. And in doing that prayer, even when you don't feel like it, you're submitting to Christ. And he'll take care of the rest. Christ is our example. We're only to submit to him. We need submission to live like him. We need submission to suffer like him. And when we do, we will surely triumph with him. Verses 10 to 12 in 1 Peter 3. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter here is quoting from Psalm chapter 34, encouraging those of us who um, desire to love life and see good days. So who desires to love life and see good days? Every hand goes up, except they didn't, because you... Every hand goes up. Everyone desires to love life and see good days, right? So he's encouraging everyone, basically, to do good, seek peace, keep your tongues from evil, and pursue righteousness. Now, this is an interesting scripture choice for Peter to quote here. Because he's writing to Christians enduring persecution, suffering. Good days didn't seem like they were anywhere to be found. At least good days in the way that we would think of good days. So was Peter really saying that if you do good deeds, if you keep your tongue from evil and seek peace and pursue it, if you do these things, your life will be awesome and you'll have great days all the time. Is that what he's really saying? Sounds kind of like a pseudo-Christian New York Times bestseller headline. Good days forever. A million steps to have the best life. That's not what Peter's saying. The key to understanding the scripture here is understanding the term good days. Yeah, you know, we might be suffering, and from time to time, in that season of suffering, we might have good days or better days. But these these words here, good days, denote a continuation. Good days, love life, forever. We will have good days this side of glory, thank God. But these good days, Peter speaking here, I believe is referring to another Uh, thing, eternal good days. Because many Christians see they died in persecution. They didn't have a good day, many good days during that persecution. They they, they submitted, they, they suffered like Christ, they had joy in the midst of suffering. But the blessing they obtained for loving their enemies and suffering like Christ was not Good days in the sense that we understand good days. You wake up full of energy, coffee's already brewed somehow, whatever. The blessing was eternal life. That's what they got. That's what we have. But let me make one thing clear. Living like Christ, suffering like Christ, these things we do don't earn us these good days. Christ saves us and he gives us his spirit to empower us 
to live like him and suffer like him. We'll do a lot of good in our lives. We'll endure persecution and suffering. But when we get to the end of it all and stand before Jesus, there will be not a shred of self-righteousness left in us. We will then understand, wow, it really wasn't me who did this. It was you, Lord. No one will stand before Christ on Judgment Day and have anything to boast of. Nor should we boast now. So Psalm 34, the scripture Peter's quoting here, it ends like this. He, he doesn't put it in his quotation here, but I looked it up. And here's the last verse of Psalm 34. It's verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So who does the redeeming? Us? No. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So when we submit to Christ, we're empowered to live like him, to suffer like him. And because we share in the life and the, the sufferings of Jesus, we will also triumph with him. Yes, we will suffer and life will be hard sometimes. We will be hated for our Christian witness. We will endure slander and persecution. We may even die. But all we must do is look to Jesus, who was hated for doing good, who suffered horribly at the hands of sinful man, and who did ultimately die. But that's not where the story ends, see? Death could not hold him. He rose from the grave, he defeated death, and he triumphed over all evil. His story, here's the great part, his story is our story. Life will not always be easy living in submission to Jesus. We all know this. But the victory is already won. Our triumph is secure because Christ already possesses it. And if he possesses triumph and victory, which he does, and he possesses us, then we also possess that. Oneness and unity with Christ means reigning with him forever. Triumph. Oh, this life is hard, I know. But it's not the end. And as we're singing that song, I'm starting to tear up a little bit because help is on the way. Hold it together. Submission is a bad word in our society. We're a stiff-necked, proud, and arrogantly independent culture. So this is why preaching a message about submission to anything, let alone Jesus, can sound a little foreign to our ears. Peter encourages us to be conformed to Christ, to live like him, to act like him. And he knows if we do, we will be persecuted because a servant is not greater than his master. So therefore, we have to also submit to Christ in our sufferings and suffer like him, loving our enemies like our good friend Dirk here and blessing those who persecute us. And if we submit to Christ in all things as Christ submitted to his Father and our Father, then bless God, we will triumph with him as well. We will love life. And I promise, well, I don't promise, 
But God promises we will see good days without end. And I look forward to that every day. So what is the takeaway here as I close? The takeaway is this, simple. If you want to write it down, go ahead. If not, listen to the podcast and write it down later. Christ is our example, even in the midst of suffering. Christ, it's easy to have Christ as your example when you're not suffering, right? Oh, he's a great moral teacher as you eat your steak and your kids are healthy. But when we suffer, it's then, it's then that we need to look to him even more. We're only to live in submission to him. So Christ is our example. Even when we suffer, don't forget, it's easy to forget Christ when we suffer. Submit to him. That's it. Live like Christ, suffer like Christ, and triumph with Christ by the power of Christ. Let's pray. Father, submission is not always fun. It rarely is fun. We are a weak, weak people. Pastor Garth always prays, and I agree with it, that we are desperate, Lord. We really are. Whether we recognize it or not, we are desperate. So desperate. If you don't help us, then there is no help. If you don't help us, there is nothing we can do. But we know that help is on the way. Help is on the way. Like an like a army who's being bombarded by the enemy, we can look to the heavens and see reinforcements coming. You send your angels to minister to us, and Lord, even greater, we have the Holy Spirit, our comforter. So for those of us who are in the midst of deep suffering this morning, Lord, I just pray for power and strength. And for those of us who are in seasons where we're on top of the mountain, God, I just, we just rejoice with them. We thank you for, for, for good times and good days this side of heaven. We thank you for joy that comes in your spirit. Because we know that the Christian life is not just suffering and, oh, how, you know, ho-hum, woe is me. That's not the Christian life, Lord. But even in the midst of that hardness, that hard times, you give us joy. And what a witness that is to, to those around us. Lord, let us be conduits of your goodness and love and grace. As we submit to you, let the world see. And as you prayed, know that the Father has sent you. God, just help us. Just help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.